This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. The text that was read earlier came from the gospel according to Dr. Luke. And I want to just lift up the second verse, which says, But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Every era in human history brings with it certain moods that tend to define how people behave and how people function. Every era. That mood is best described using a German word, which may be familiar to some of you, called the zeitgeist. The the, the zeitgeist generally describes the ideas and the beliefs of the time. And another way to understand this zeitgeist is the spirit of the age. As an example, the zeitgeist of the 1920s was characterized by the wild and lively ways that people used to live. And so they would call that era the Roaring Twenties. The zeitgeist of the 1950s was one where people were conforming to everything within society. And it was almost boring on the surface. But underneath, people were really, really struggling and suffering with tension. The zeitgeist of the 1960s was this nation's shift, for example, in its attitude towards civil rights. And the zeitgeist of the 1970s was mostly characterized, if many of you can remember and recall, by sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In every era, in every era of history, there were also cultural icons and expressions that helped to encapsulate what the spirit of that age was. For example, When we think about the 1980s, what comes to mind, for example, is the music of Michael Jackson and and Boy George, right? And a host of other people that help us to get a sense of what the mood was like in that period. We can't think of the 2000s without thinking about Y2K or the market crash or even 9-11. And without question, I believe that the zeitgeist of this age that we're living in right now is characterized by fake news and is being shaped by COVID-19 and COVID-45, if you hear what I'm saying, and all of the stuff and all of the resurgence that comes with white supremacy. There is a spirit of this age. There's a spirit that is right now being felt by everyone as a result of the mood of where people generally are. So as I thought about this zeitgeist, this spirit of the age, and all of these various ages, I mused on and tried to figure out what was actually underneath all of these moods and these ideas. What was really going on? And the more and the more I thought about it, I realized that there was a common denominator. In every single era, whether it's the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you name it, even up until now, there is something, there is a theme, there is an issue that undergirds every single one of these zeitgeists, every single one of these eras, and that theme, that thing, I submit to you, brothers and sisters, is rebellion. Rebellion. Whether you agree with me or not, 
every generation gets caught up in some kind of rebellion, which, by the way, has its root in either some kind of religious or spiritual essence. We need not look too far back to see, for example, the influence of the Roman Catholic Church on art and music during the Renaissance period leading up to the Enlightenment and modernity, or even the influence of Protestantism on the immorality of slavery, or even the influence of evangelicalism on fundamentalism, right-to-life issues, and dare I even say, identity politics. You can see that underneath all of these zeitgeists, the spirit of the age is something religious that forces people into a place of rebellion. These religious influences are all governed by a religious spirit, which I must admit deeply, deeply troubles me on many levels, particularly, for example, when I see white evangelicalism in all its glory, or even predatory preaching practices, or the prosperity gospel, and even fallen ministers. All of these major influences in society create a groundswell that is an incubator for the backlash that you and I know to be rebellion. It is the religious spirit that is composed of archaic and old traditions and even obsolete practices in many ways, which is the mastermind of the enemy of our souls. The religious spirit, it seeks to keep individual believers and the church stagnant and unaware of the call of the Holy Spirit for righteous change in each and every one of our lives. And although not always acknowledged, the religious spirit exerts tremendous control over our minds and our souls as evidenced by when Jesus would often talk to the Pharisees for even their failure to recognize that this Messiah that they have been preaching about all of these years was actually walking with them in their midst. They were blinded by their own ideas, their own sense of what they think is going on and miss what was right in front of them. It's the religious spirit that holds us in bondage and makes many of us feel like if you don't do this the right way, if you don't do that the right way, then you might as well sign your ticket for you are on your way to hell. This is the religious spirit and it seeks to get underneath the very thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to get to each and every one of us. That same spirit of religion can be so subtle that we're unaware of its impact. Instead, being deceived into believing that God is directing us, while at the same time, it's wielding its tool of hypocrisy. So today, and that was my introduction. <laughs> so today, I want to get and talk a little bit about the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age. And may I dare say, all ages, and I will do this in a message I have titled, quite simply, The Leaven of the Church. The Leaven of the Church. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have welcomed you in this place. We have invited your spirit and your presence because we acknowledge, O oh God, that there is a zeitgeist. There is a spirit of this age that is trying to tell us things that is antithetical to what and to who you are. 
And so, Father, as we invite you now to speak to your children, help us, O oh God, to remove the blinders from our eyes. Help us not be, to, be, to be swayed by passing fancies or even pleasures, but help us, O oh God, to get behind the surface and to see the real you. We pray, O oh God, for an encounter today with not the religious spirit, but with the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. True spirituality is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of caring about the things that God cares about. And what does God care about? God cares about justice, God cares about love, and God cares about doing good for other people. These are the things that God cares about. It is only when our hearts are tuned in and tapped into the Holy Spirit that we also get to love and to care about the things that God cares about. Let me make it plain. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love and care for the widows and the orphans. You cannot love and care for people in and of yourself. You can only do that when the Holy Spirit is present in your life and when you are tapped into that Holy Spirit. The challenge with many of us in the church is that we're not tapped into the Holy Spirit, but we are indeed tapped into the religious spirit. Jesus, whenever he spoke to the Pharisees, he often defined for them areas of his most pressing concern. Jesus always wanted the Pharisees to understand that there was more to religion. There was more to faith. There was more to him than simply just going through the motions and wearing a fancy robe. It was the matter of the heart. And whenever you get at the heart, you get at the root of the person. This is why he would say to his disciples, be on your guard, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, like many of you probably, I used to think that hypocrisy was just doing something that you knew was wrong or you're trying to fool other people. In other words, play acting. I thought hypocrisy was play acting. But, but there's another emphasis that I want you to be aware of, and that is where hypocrisy is outward show. Now, there's a difference, right? You see, outward show is very different from play acting because with the outward show, right, the, the Pharisees were not pretending. You see, when we talk about hypocrisy and we talk about it as play acting, when you are acting, you know you're acting. You know that what you're doing is Something that is showing other than what you know to be true. But when you don't know, when you are doing something and you have an outward show that you believe in your heart is the truth, when it is not, then it takes on a whole different level. You see, here's the truth, church. All of us play act in some point. The way you are on your job is very different from the way you are at home. Right or wrong? The, the way that you are when the preacher comes around or the pastor talks to you is very different from the way that you talk to the person that cuts you off on the highway. 
So everyone is clear on play acting and we all play act. But what happens when the reason why you have anger towards your brother and sister is not because you're play acting, but because you actually mean it? What does it mean when you harbor murder and envy and jealousy in your heart when you mean it, but meanwhile you stand in church, raise holy hands, and say, I will love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. You're not play acting. You are giving outward show. That's what's going on. The outward show, the ritual, the attention to minutia and detail was the real thing according to the Pharisees in their mind. And they were mistaken because they thought they were acting in a matter of good judgment for their king. Well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knew their heart. Jesus knew these Pharisees. You see, what they thought was good was actually evil. What they thought was faith was actually doubt. And with their values twisted, all that they might do would only lead them deeper and deeper into what we call the dark night of the soul. Further away from God, the very God that they were all attempting to serve. Are you following and tracking with me? This is the nature of hypocrisy, and it finds its source of strength and motivation from the religious spirit. It is, listen, check yourself, brothers and sisters, whenever you are finding that you're moving in a certain way that is antithetical to the kingdom of God, but you think you're doing the right thing, you are really wrestling with not the Holy Spirit, but with the religious spirit. You know the religious spirit. You've seen the religious spirit. You've seen how it works. You, you judge other people by their appearance. I know nobody in this church do that. I know nobody in this church do that or even online. You, you try to earn God's love and salvation. You, you try to conform to an outward holiness without inward transformation. You know the religious spirit. You, you, you're always critical of other people and their walk with God. You know, it's that part of you that says, it don't take all of that. You know, it don't take all of that to worship God. You're jumping around and singing and shouting. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know the things that you have gone through and the reason why you will, you will, you will rather look like a fool for God Amen. than to look like a, a, a well-dignified person for Satan. I don't know about you, but you understand the religious spirit. You perform Christian duties, but you have no passion or hunger for God. You desire position and honor and places of authority in the church more than honor and place of authority in the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is always the low place. You, 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 your identity is rooted in Christianity instead of in Christ. You know about the truth of Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And you project righteousness, but inwardly you're filled with anger and resentment. That's the religious spirit. And, 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 and I don't know, we, as you all sit and as you all listen, I, I know there's a part of you that can identify with when it's not been you that's been speaking. It's not been the Holy Spirit speaking through you, but the religious spirit. Now, in our text, as Jesus was warning the crowd about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the church leaders, he wanted to make the point that hypocrisy is actually living a double standard so that there is a discrepancy between who and what you are and what you project to other people. Oh, yes. And, and, and more importantly, how you even act with others. 
Let me illustrate the, the point of this. There's a story about Mahatma Gandhi, and what you may or may not know is that before Gandhi was doing all the work that he did in India, he actually lived in South Africa. And in South Africa, he lived in a community where it was mostly occupied by Indian people, other Indian people. And while Gandhi was there, he was considered what you would call a magistrate, right? He was sort of like the father figure of the village. And so every person would come to Gandhi when they had an issue or a problem that they needed him to help them resolve. So one day, a widow came to Gandhi because she needed help raising her teenage son. You see, the problem with her teenage son is he didn't have a father figure in his life. And so what he would do, he wouldn't want to eat regular food, healthy foods. He would eat only sweets. All he wanted to eat was sweets. And this bothered the mother because it was having an impact on her son's life. You cannot survive only on eating sweets. And so she goes to Gandhi. She says, she says Gandhi, I need your help. I need you to help me with my son because I know that if you talk to him as the father figure of the village, he will change his ways. So she told him that, you know, all he does is eat sweets. So Gandhi says to her in his wisdom, come back, give me a week, come back in a week, and I'll talk to your son. So a week goes by. She comes back to Gandhi and she says, you know, you told me to come back in a week and I need you to help my son. Gandhi looked at her and says, you know what, come back in another week. So the widow said, okay, I'll come back in another week. The other week comes back, and she comes to him again, and she said, she's a little more frustrated now, right? Because two weeks have gone by, and her son is feeding on sweets. So Gandhi takes the child aside. He starts to talk to the boy, tells the boy, listen, it is not good for you to eat sweets, right? It, it, it will lead to your, to your sudden destruction. You, you, you need to stop it, and it's an imperative that you stop eating. The boy decides he's going to stop eating sweets, and that was the end of it. So now the, the widow pulls Gandhi aside and says, wait a second, all you did was talk to him, which I knew you would do, and the boy has stopped. But, but you told me you, you could have done this two weeks ago, right? Why did you do this? Why did you tell me to come back one week later and then come back another week later? Why on earth did you do that? Because when I first came to you, you could have done that. Gandhi replied, because, because I had not realized how difficult it was for me to give up sweets. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, Gandhi's integrity was of such that he could not tell anyone else, not even a child, to do something that he himself was not prepared to do. For many of us, especially in the church, we are often all too ready to give people advice on what to do when we ourselves cannot or do not do it. You see, this is the essence of hypocrisy that Jesus was rebuking when he said to the, to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It's not simply a matter of being two-faced or saying one thing while doing something else. It is a much deeper issue because it involves a conscious knowledge of your own inability to do what you are asking other people to do. It is knowing that you're asking others something that is impossible for you, yet you are demanding and mandating it for others. This is the leaven of the Pharisees. And today, as it relates to you and to me, it is the same thing as the leaven of the church. You see, all throughout scriptures, all throughout scriptures, we see this idea of hypocrisy playing out. We, we need not look much further than, and I'll just give you a few verses. 
Matthew, the seventh chapter, in the third to the fifth verse, where Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look. There's a whole <laughs> timber in your own, right? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly the speck that is in your brother's. Or, or Jesus in Matthew, the 23rd chapter and the 27th to the 20th verses. Here's what it says. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, preachers, bishops. Woe unto you. Teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside in your fancy robes, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In, you see, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but, but, but finally, Luke, the 20th chapter, 46 to 47. Beware of the teachers of the law, pastors, leaders, bishops, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the pulpit and the places of honor at banquets. They, watch this, they devour widows' houses, meaning that they're predatory in their approach and they make these long, lengthy prayers that go on and on and say absolutely nothing. These men, these women will be punished most severely. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is pointing at hypocrisy. But he's dealing with, he's pointing at hypocrisy. But he's dealing with the religious spirit. Jesus knows the depths of human weakness and the games that so-called good people play. Jesus is not condemning our failures, yours or mine. Let's be clear. Because you and I know we all fall short of God's glory. However, he is condemning the hypocrisy that makes us pretend that we are better than we really are. Look carefully at what Jesus says in our focus text. But this time, I want to read it from the message version of the Bible. Because I want you to hear it in, in contemporary language. Listen carefully, church, and lend me the ears of your hearts. By this time, the crowd unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes numbered to the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples, you and me. He said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast. Oh yes, Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever or a robe. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day is coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. These will be repeated all over Mount Vernon, New York, you name it. I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Do not be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? True, they can kill you, but what else can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God who holds your eternal life, body, and soul in his 
hands. Are you hearing this? This is scripture. This is Jesus telling you that, listen, Jesus is so gangster, as I like to call him, that he's after that religious spirit. But, 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 but I like the term that's used, the Pharisee yeast. Wow. The Pharisee yeast. That's a very interesting word and term, Sister Mary. The Pharisee yeast. I'm, I'm like, wait a second. What is that? <laughs> what is that, Sebastian? The Pharisee yeast. I, I kind of want to tap into that. So the thing you ought to know, you need to know a little something about yeast. You see, yeast is that common substance that, that you use in baking, right? I don't bake, all right? So for those of you who bake, you all understand yeast. I, I, but as a baking agent, it, it converts sugar that is present in the dough into the gas called carbon dioxide. Oh, yes, it does. And then when the carbon dioxide cannot escape because the, 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 the dough is stretchy, what then happens is it causes bubbles, gas bubbles to form, and that's what actually causes the bread to rise. You see, it, you see the yeast, it, it causes the bread to rise. Now, as a result of this, they call it leavened bread, right? Because there is something that was added to what is in order to make it something that it's really not. Ooh, ooh, I think I'm saying something here. Now, now when the dough is baked, watch this. When the dough is baked, the yeast then dies. And, and the air pockets are then set, right? So you put this little yeast into the dough. It causes it to rise because it got nowhere to go creating this gas, and then after the baking is done, the yeast is dead, and what you're left with is something bigger than what it was when it started. So I'm saying to myself, wait a second, Jesus, what are you really trying to say to me here? You see, you see, um, um, <laughs> yeast is, is, is really small. According to what I've researched, it's about 20 billion yeast cells that actually weigh one gram or 128th of an ounce. So a little teeny, teeny, tiny bit of yeast can make a dough appear to be much more than it really is. A little bit, let me, let me bring it down to your street. A little bit of untruth can make a whole message a big lie. Just a little bit of untruth can make a whole message a big lie. And, and watch this, Eve can tell you about this in the garden because a little bit of doubt, a little bit of doubt can, can rob you of your entire faith. All you need is just a little yeast, a little bit, just a little bit, 128th of an ounce of something that is not true to make everything a lie. Yeah. But, but, but is that the only reason, and I know y'all heard it, but is that the only reason why Jesus compared hypocrisy of the religious spirit to yeast or leavened bread? And, and I thought about it, but I think that's only one part of it. I like to go deeper. I think I want to go a little deeper. But to understand what I'm, where I'm going, we need to tie in three very, very famous parables that many of you might be familiar with. Namely, the parable of the mustard seed, the, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and the parable of the sower. You're all familiar with these parables, and if you're not, I encourage you to go and read them. But, but in short, in short, here's what I want you to see. In the parable of the mustard seed, there is a seed that was planted, and this plant had a faithful beginning. But it ends up, when it grew, to have all these things in its, in its, in its leaves that was actually now a home to demons. All of these birds nesting now in this tree that was planted has, that had great intention has now become a resting place for everything 
demonic. You see, you see, even though, for example, Abraham lived a life of faith, his descendants, and to a large part himself, they introduced leaven into the faith that God originally gave them. You see, when you are walking, you start out real good. But somewhere along the way, you open up the door to allowing something that is not of God to rest on your branches. See, that, that, that's the first thing I want you to see, and that's what Satan does, right? He just needs a little bit of room in your heart, a little bit of room in your home, a little bit of room in your church in order to plant a little something there. Now, let's look at the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. The conflict is found in, in, in the disturbing presence of tares that are growing among the wheat. You see, you see, they threaten to diminish the harvest because they're taking up space where regular good wheat are supposed to be. Now, now here's what I want you to understand and get in your spirit. God did not plant tares. God does not plant tares. God only plants wheat. So if you have tares among the wheat, recognize that it wasn't God that put it there. Many of us are living, with li living lives with a whole lot of tares that we think God put there. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we rebuke that religious spirit right now. What has been deposited in there is you giving permission for tares to grow among your wheat. And those tares are demonic spirits. Finally, finally, the parable of the sower. You know it. The the sower threw his seed. Some fell on good ground. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on all kinds of ground. The seed fell everywhere. But what I want you to know is that when the word of God fell, there said that there were some birds that came and took the good seed away. Right? That bird are demons. And they come and they take the good seed away. So the seed can't produce anything. Or even if it fell on stony ground, it won't allow the seed to take root. Why? Because they weren't deep enough. Because the stony ground was choking out, choking out the spiritual survival and growth. And brothers and sisters, all of this has to do with something that God did not mean or intend. That's the idea. Now, in all of these three parables, as I've summarized them, I've sought to demonstrate to you that the leaven of the Pharisees, the deeper I want to go, is about the demonic activity and of, of, of the religious spirit and its influence. It is the same spirit that produced the rebellion that caused Lucifer to fall from his place in heaven. And it is that same spirit that is alive and well in many of our churches today. And to be clear, because God is no respecter of person, the religious spirit, the tear that is among the wheat, is the same spirit that you see in the Roman Catholic Church, in the Baptist Church, in the Presbyterian Church, in the Anglican Church, in the Episcopal Church, in the United Methodist Church, in the Pentecostal Church, in the Apost Apostolic Church, and yes, in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. That spirit is sitting in there, that tear among the weeds that is tearing away at the very thing that God wants to get to me and you. And it causes us to move with hypocrisy, pretending and acting and moving like we are more godly than we are. Meanwhile, we're moving further and further away from God. This is why I titled the sermon, The Leaven of the Church, because the demonic religious spirit is in 
every church and it dares to speak. Listen, it only really goes after churches that dare to speak the name of Jesus. Because if your church is speaking the name of Jesus, then that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And what better place for them to go? So Jesus says, disciples, be on your guard. Be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. For even among you, the thief, the robber, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But listen, he has given us the spirit of discernment, which is the one thing that can let us say, wait a second, this is not of God. This is not of God. And I rebuke this in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus. The church needs to wake up and recognize that you have this power. So, this religious spirit, it's managed by the prince of this world. And I'm getting ready to close. It's managed by the prince of this world. And that spirit, prince, is Satan himself. He now undergirds and he manages the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. What you see happening all around us, fake news, fake this, fake that. Don't believe doctors. Don't believe institutions. Don't believe all of this stuff is Satan's own doing. Yeah, the vaccine, for example, is the mark of the beast. But that's not what the Bible tells us. So I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, be on your guard. And watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. You see, it's always, always about rebellion. And if you have a spirit of rebellion, believe me when I tell you, I know I'm preaching to the church, and I know this is a hard message, but I need you to understand that there is hope. Listen, you got to know something about the, re the rebellious spirit. It is the spirit of rebellion that makes people not know the truth from a lie and call everything fake, even fair elections. It's a spirit of rebellion that does that. It, it, it's the spirit of rebellion that makes people lose respect for authority and institutions, thereby causing an insurrection at the Capitol. Because did God not tell us to, be, to, 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 to obey the laws of the land? Did he not tell us that? So if God told us that and you're doing something antithetical, then you've got, you know what kind of spirit you're operating in. I'm not mincing my words. I'm telling you like it is. It is the spirit of rebellion that makes people follow an ungodly leader who claimed to be a Christian and can't even quote one Bible verse. Not even one. Anybody, at the very least, he should have said, well, you know, Jesus wept. If he had done that, he would have probably had a lot more believers, but he don't even know that. It is the spirit of rebellion that makes white supremacy and racism possible. It is always rebellion that oppresses the poor incarcerate unjustly and exploits people for filthy gain. We are, we are denouncing that spirit today. We are rebuking that spirit publicly today. And for those of you who are watching online, wherever you are, we are even rebuking it in your home, wherever it shows itself, wherever the tears pop up, we are rebuking it today. On this day, when we open the doors of the church, we are rebuking the religious spirit and the spirit of rebellion. We are rebuking it today. So, unless the people of God call it for what it is, satanic and demonic, then we will always fall victim to its crafty schemes and to its tactics. 
But there are seven things I want to leave you with, seven very quick things I want to leave you with so that you understand what the spirit or the religious spirit and the spirit of hypocrisy and rebellion does. Number one, it contains. It contains. Spirit life is about freedom and identity. The religious spirit places unholy and ungodly limitations upon people's lives and tries to mask their true identity in Christ. Second, it confines. The religious spirit rejects revelation of the spirit and breakthrough. Sister Holly, it rejects your breakthrough. So it contains, it confines, and it boxes people in. My wife likes to talk about box thinking versus circle thinking. A lot of, a lot of religious spirit work is box thinking. Well, this is the way we've always done it. You can't do it no other way than this. It, it, it confines. Third, it, it complains. Wherever there is a religious spirit in operation, there will be much murmuring and complaining and wrong speaking. Sometimes you don't need to tell people what you can't do. Tell them what you will do. Stop talking about what you don't have, what you can't do. What, stop talking about the not, but talk about the is and what will be. For even though God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever, guess what? He is the God of everywhere. He's the God of everything. And you don't need to limit yourself to what it is that you don't have. Fourth, it criticizes. One of the most prominent operations of a religious spirit is that it is critical of every single thing. It has a critical attitude. It's a religious spirit. It's critical. It, listen, the spirit life of the gospel brings power and demonstration while religion loves debate and disagreement leading to Endless disputes without any supernatural power. My daughter can tell you all about, the, the, in, in her studies, about how the Council of Trent and all of these different councils, they argue, 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 argue about stuff. And meanwhile, people are struggling, 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 struggling. Listen, be there for people with what matters. I always tell folks, when I go to a hospital and I'm sitting in a room of the bedside of a person who needs, needs to know that God is real, they could care less whether or not. I have an MDiv, master's degree, or a doctorate degree. They could care less whether or not I have some kind of a theology on the doctrine of the Trinity. They could care less. The only thing they want to know is, do you know Jesus, and can you help me find him? Amen. Number five, it controls. The religious spirit establishes false mindsets and false beliefs, foundation in the lives of individual believers. This is the one reason why the office of the teacher is so vital for the church. Because what you need to understand is that we cannot stifle God's people trying to control them just to be able to have them do what we want. Listen, there was a time when the church only spoke the word and read the word in Latin. So that as long as the people can't read, they can keep them in bondage. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. And they may have it more abundantly. He sows his seeds among all kinds of grounds, everywhere. And he says, whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not say, whosoever finished their theology degree will find me. Six, it compromises. Religion spends the vast majority of its time focused on works without power. It, it abandons the plans of God in pursuit of building its own kingdom. Listen, I don't need a million people to follow me. I need one person to love the Lord. I want you to understand what I just said. I don't need a million people to follow me. 
I need to preach to one person that loves the Lord and finds him because of the ministry. And finally, number seven, which is probably the hardest of all for the religious spirit, is it condemns. Jesus came to set each of us free from condemnation and the works of the law. Right? He didn't say, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And in my fulfilling it, you with your unrighteous self and your issues can claim my own. You can come under the umbrella of my love and you will find grace and peace for yourselves. That's good news. That's the gospel. Everything I've been talking about, this whole message has been about the good news of what Jesus does. And he's saying to you, as he said to the disciples back then, beware of the leaven of the church. For many of us, the problem is that we go after and attack what religious people are doing and what they are saying instead of going after the root cause, which is the issue of the religious spirit. We need to see spirits, discern spirits, call them out, and rebuke them on the spot. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for the preacher. You call it out, and you rebuke it whenever it shows its ugly head. So, as I close, my brothers and sisters, Jesus tells us to beware, in our text, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Jesus is calling us to a life of honesty and openness about where we are and the things that we are facing. We had our prayer call one the other couple of weeks ago. And Many of you have shared that it was such a blessing. Why? Because we were talking to the saints and telling them where we are, what was going on in our lives. And for many of you who participated, it was incredibly freeing, wasn't it? We didn't, we, the preacher, the pastor didn't do anything. You just told your story in an area and an atmosphere where the church was saying, we understand and we listen. And so, my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that the abundant life and the freedom that you seek can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. For the scriptures tell us, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension and understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the antidote for the leaven of the church. And you can have it freely today if you do what we always say in this church. Only just believe. believe. I, you didn't convince me. Say it again. Only just believe. That's it. If you only just believe. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.